everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast and we have another throwback episode for you, our last throwback, before we begin season six. Now this throwback episode is from season one and it is an interview with a former IBM designer who we asked to come on the show to talk about the connection between design and teaching in the classroom environment. So this episode is with Casey Lathrop. And if you don't, if you didn't listen to this episode, I think you're going to really enjoy it because it's all about living a creative life and how to bring that into your practice and teachers as designers and how teachers design the learning experience for their students. And it's a joyful conversation. And I think, and we selected this particular episode because we really enjoyed it. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Casey Lathrop is a designer, creator, and educator. She currently works in strategy and operations for IBM's IT department. Casey started at IBM as a user experience designer five years ago while getting her master's degree from New York University's Interactive Telecommunications Program. During her time at NYU, Casey enrolled in the class 100 Days of Making, which she ended up teaching the following year. As a former teacher turned designer, she worked to empower people to go against societal norms, change careers, start over, start again, learn anything you want, and follow all creative desires. Casey currently lives in Brooklyn, New York with her adorable dog, Waffles. Welcome, Casey. Hi, thank you for having me here. So Casey, one of our audience groups for this podcast are educators. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your transition from being a teacher to a designer. Sure. Um, so, well, first off, I, I never really pictured myself growing up, you know, when you're thinking about what you want to be when you get older as a teacher. But I did also, growing up, um, I loved going to school. I loved learning I was a huge nerd. Um, I had a huge motivation to get good grades, um, maybe because I didn't want to get in trouble. I don't know what the motivation really, you know, um, stemmed from. But I could always recognize a good teacher. And I always um, tended to gravitate towards the teachers that no one else liked, the teachers that were tougher on the students, um, but also expected a lot. And I kind of connected with that and always wanted to reach that level and, um, you know, just people that really pushed me. So when I was in undergrad and super lost and not really knowing what I wanted to do, I was just kind of following, you know, what I was interested in, which ended up being language acquisition. And really the only reason for that was really because I w- it enabled me to meet so many different types of people. Growing up in Chicago, there's a huge Spanish speaking community there. And it allowed me to communicate with all these different types of people I wouldn't normally have been able to communicate with if I didn't know Spanish. That just kind of um, led into teaching opportunities at different nonprofit organizations. Um, So by the time I graduated from my undergrad, I was teaching a full time class in a nonprofit 
to um, adults that were getting their GEDs and uh, preparing for their citizenship. And that just also then naturally um, got me more interested in teaching English as a second language. So after I graduated, I thought, well, this is a great path because I don't really have to think about what I want to do. I'm just going to continue to follow this interest of mine. So I went to San Diego and I got to teach a lot of people from Iraq and um, Nepal and Burma and other different you know places that I've never been to at that time. So it was really exciting. And then I got um, my certifi- certification to teach and that moved me to you know other places in Czech Republic and Chicago, back to Chicago and eventually to New York where I was teaching in high school. Um, and I kind of was reaching a point where I was realizing that decisions that you make in your mid early twenties will kind of dictate or it seemed where you'll end up. And I also didn't want to, um, I wanted to just like prepare myself of who I wanted to be when I was, um, older and envisioning what kind of person I would be, you know, in 20 years. And I was reaching a point where I was not as creatively challenged as I had been in teaching because the two things that I loved about teaching was the people And then the other part was designing the classroom experience and designing lessons and taking a topic and figuring out how do I teach this, this type of people with these types of learners and personalities and every, you know, topic that you teach could be designed completely different for each classroom and each experience. Um, And I was kind of reaching a point where that wasn't as exciting to me anymore. And I wanted to do more about kind of the background and the, the back end of teaching because I had teach in so many different types of environments from schools that had like no resources whatsoever in Queens and then schools that had everything you can imagine um, in Chelsea in Manhattan. And um, I was seeing such disparity in that. And I thought, you know, if I could make one little difference um, in education from a technology standpoint, I, I would, you know, prefer that over um, being in the classroom. And so that led me to uh, leaving teaching to go to NYU, New York University, to pursue my master's degree, where I focused a lot about edu- educational technology, but in the sense of how do you create and use technology to allow students to be more comfortable in classrooms and make them um and if you're, you know, more comfortable, you're, you tend to be more vulnerable. If you're more vulnerable, you're more open to learning. So that was sort of my, um, <laughs> the passion that led me to um, kind of merging education and technology. Casey, in that response, you do so well at articulating the interchangeable skills relevant to both a teacher and a designer. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that and whether that connection became more apparent once you're working as a full-time designer at IPM. Yeah, definitely. So, well, first, I I didn't really know that I was integrating design when I was teaching until I became a designer and then, you know, experienced immense imposter syndrome. Because when I became a designer, um, I mean, at the time, it seems really silly, but I was in my late 20s and I was, um, I think it was just assumed that I had been practicing design for a decade and I, you know, maybe I studied design in, in school. Um, and I was also, you know, a lot of my colleagues were more similar to that. So they had all this experience that I didn't have in design. And I felt like, oh my God, I can never let anyone know that I used to be a teacher. Like, I'm just going to like sort of pretend that like six years were like somehow removed from my life and it's not a part of my history. And I was really ashamed of it for a long time. 
And then I started realizing and also meeting people. I, I was, I've been really, really lucky at IBM. A lot of the managers, almost every manager I've had has just been um, super inspirational to me. But the first manager I had said, you know, the reason that I hired you and you were, you know, distinguishing from other people was that you didn't come from a design background, but what you did have was creativity. So you could take any sort of scenario and look at it in such a wider scope than somebody that is just coming from a design practice. Now, obviously there's nothing wrong with that, um, having all of that experience, but in the beginning, I didn't really understand what that meant. And then as I was doing more design work in my job, I was realizing that like, oh, when we're talking about users, we're talking about a similar thing, you know, creating a tool for, for users, for people. That was kind of the same or similar thing that I was doing when I was teaching, when I was taking, you know, I need to teach my students this topic. Okay, let's look at my my users or my students and look at, well, what are their needs? Because there's a, you know, a thing that you, we know in education when we're teaching is that we can't just come in and just assume everyone's going to understand what we're saying. You know, everybody is coming from a different experience, a different background, a different learning style. You can't just assume, oh, I'm going to just do a lecture and everyone should be able to absorb it. Well, not everybody is an auditory learner. So you have to make those adjustments based on your, the the class, you know, the, the students that you have, and also even build the, the physical experience that you're in. I mean, like I said, it's not as relevant these days, but you know, when we're in the classroom, how do you design your class so it's a more open environment, if that, you know, depending on what you're teaching? Um, so I think once I started to see design in the same way as teaching, I, I could, I, I can't even unsee it at this point um, because I see, I, I do truly believe that teachers are designers um, in every single form and designers are teachers in the same way. Casey, just to finish this segment, myself and Cindy have a huge smile on our face right now because we often talk about the creativity that exists in the teaching profession. And as we look at the challenges teachers have had to address during the pandemic, that creativity is perhaps more apparent now than it's ever been in the past. So I'm really grateful for you making that connection because, of course, as teachers, we are designers. We are creative practitioners who are constantly challenged to address problems in the classroom. And, of course, think of our end user who are our students, but also to some extent ourselves. So Casey, we're going to shift gears just a little and talk about your role at IBM, which has recently changed. You've moved from kind of that creative design role to more of a managerial role. But you've also spoken about how this new role still provides you with opportunities to be creative. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that transition, particularly for the teachers listening who, like you, have made a recent transition into administration. Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a good point because, I mean, even to your point of teaching being a creative profession, I think you can really look at everything in a creative way. And one of the benefits that you have if you are a teacher, an educator moving into administrative role is that now you're sort of designing the experience for the teacher. So even for myself, when I moved into design operations and became a program manager, I felt like, oh my God, now I'm not creative. Now I'm not a designer. And I was, I've been having a, you know, a new form of iteration of imposter syndrome through that. Um, but then I realized, oh, you know what I am is a designer for designers. And that really empowered me and then freed me from that, you know, 
that negative talk and like those limiting beliefs that I had, because then I could say, what opportunities could I create for designers in this space? And I think the same way for administrators, what opportunities can you create for teachers that you didn't have for yourself as a teacher? I do also believe that there are people that um, have a passion for education that don't necessarily need to be the people in the classrooms doing the actual facilitation. You can still work in education and make a huge difference in how schools are run and how classes, you know, are facilitated and student experiences by, you know, being a part of the school system and the education system. It's, I think, just as important because um, you're really enabling teachers to do their best work. So I think there's a lot of creative, uh, creative opportunity for administrators um, or people that are working in operations and um, in different school settings or companies if you're moving into, you know, a different type of role, similar to my experience. Casey, can you describe to me what the 100-day practice is? Yes. So 100 Days of Making is a practice where you choose a topic or a theme and you iterate and create something new every day for 100 days. So the theme could be, for example, um, drawing and every day you decide to you know draw something um, for 100 days and you can have a theme um, to kind of it's also um, a way to d- learn how to design a project and build requirements around your project so 100 days of drawing flowers for example um, keeps you focused um, on drawing a specific thing every single day Casey, can you tell us more about how you take this 100-day practice of making and and continue it on in your life? So I, I started doing 100 days of making because it was a uh, class offered to me that I, I took in my second semester of my last year of graduate school. And the reason why it was even interesting for me to take was I discovered in during graduate school, and I probably always knew this, but I take a little bit longer to learn things, I think. And I think that's really because um, innately, I'm a a more kinesthetic learner. So I need to kind of like experience things in order to, um, you know, to really actually learn them. I can't just like see them or listen to them. And so for me, it was really challenging in grad school when you're learning about coding and physical computing and interaction design and all these new concepts and not being able to really apply them was challenging for me to actually be able to learn something and then make something from that. So 100 Days of Making came along and I knew that um, it was a good opportunity for me based on the kind of learner that I am. And I really wanted to learn animation. I've always wanted to learn animation since I was a kid. My dream is it's still, and I'm working my way there, but it's, um, it's always been to make my own animated short film. Which means you, I know how to write, you know, decently and tell stories, but I didn't know how to draw. I didn't know how to animate. I didn't know how to do anything with video. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have any of these skills, but how do I, you know, make my, you know, kind of move my way into that direction? And so I did a hundred days of making um, with animation. So I learned how to use After Effects, and I also explored a lot of different types of animation. And what the beautiful thing about 100 Days of Making, it's all about the progress and the process. It's not about the outcome. So it's not like you're doing all this work and then eventually you have this like beautiful, you know, end piece that, you know, is like amazing that you, um, you worked on for months and months. Instead, you're doing like little by little, you're kind of, you know, chipping away at it. 
And through that, I was, you know, it's a, you're kind of able to let go of that feeling of wanted, wanting to be perfect and, um, you know, wanting to make this like beautiful thing. Instead, you can just be really bad at something for a while. And through that, just keep, in, you know, continuing to learn. So I just became absolutely enamored with it in my, you know, my first experience with it. Um, then when I started working at IBM full time, I had mentioned to other colleagues and they said, why don't we bring this, you know, as kind of like a, an extracurricular thing. So I started leading that at IBM and I still do, and I was three and a half years later and I'm still leading that for, um, my team. And then I had the opportunity to teach it, um, at NYU in the same class that I learned from. So I started doing that three years ago. And that's been an amazing experience to share this practice with people. There's some people that, you know, don't really, it doesn't really resonate with them. But I think there are other people that are, are more similar to me and how I think and learn that they, I can kind of see the, the light bulb for them. And, and it's, it's so liberating to be able to learn in this way and it's such an accomplishment. And so for me, I think there's, I kind of think about creativity in, um, in support of your mental health. I think it's, it's almost the same idea as going to the gym every day, you know, for your physical health to me, you know, maintaining a creative practice is is one of the ways that I maintain, um, my mental health. And, you know, there's endorphins that are released when you create something. It's such a, an accomplishment in, you know, each day to just spend, you know, anywhere from 20 minutes to 60 minutes, however much time, you know, you can kind of fit it in. Um, and just to learn something, something new. So I've done now at this point animation, I've now done my, I'm on my 10th, 100 days, actually my project where I'm paint, uh, painting for the first time. Um, and just like to have all this like collection of things I would never have before is amazing. And I, it's not like I, it kind of takes away that overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, I want to learn something. Where do I even begin? In in a hundred days or in fifty days, uh, or you know, any type of type of project like this, it, it kind of eliminates that feeling, and you can just, you know, take it day by day, and you learn a little bit, and it's a, it's really like a process of iteration and trying new things, and just like breaking through the barriers that you know we tend to create for ourselves. So I absolutely love it. I, I would spread it to spread the joy to everybody. One of the things we're trying to offer teachers is specific tips or practices that they can take into the classroom. From your experience as a designer, what three tips would you give to teachers tasked with designing new instructional experiences, especially during this time? Um, well, I think the, the first thing I would say is that take every lesson that you teach as a new opportunity to learn something new for yourself and how to teach something. So to just kind of take away the stress that not every class is going to be the best class that you taught, especially if you're trying new things. And especially during this time when you're really having to adapt in these new settings and all these new challenges. Um, I would also say that, you know, we know that a part of learning is being vulnerable if you want your students to be vulnerable, um, be vulnerable with your students, you know, um, be human. I think the, that no matter what age you are, um, that resonates with people when you're just kind of meeting them at their level. Um, and then I think the third thing is kind of related to that is meet people where they are. Um, you, we have this idea that 
even I think even no matter how many years of experience you have in teaching or whatever your profession is, um, you're always needing to learn and improve things. And you're always going to meet people that are going to challenge you in new ways and look at that as a, a new way to adapt and learn something new and then um, strengthen your practice. If you look at teaching, um, you know, as a creative practice. And so um, don't have as many expectations and go into every classroom with an open mind and um, learn from that experience. So that concludes another throwback episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Casey Lathrop. And if you're interested in the concept of teachers as designers, we encourage you to check out my website, whirlwoodclassroom.com. On that website, I share my ideas around the concept of teacher creativity and also the concept of design thinking in education, which is a strategy that we can bring to our practice that, one, helps us identify the needs of specific individuals or groups that make up our classroom environment and also engages us in a process of research and experimentation that can validate the ideas that we bring to our classroom environment. My name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. 